0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. You know, the truth is, is that that thankfulness is, we talked about this a little while ago, but it's such a weapon because it, it forces you to actually think about what God has done. Um, and, and what he is doing, and when you start putting your mind and your attention on him and thanking him, you can find something to be thankful for in every situation. Like, like seriously, even, like, it, the worst case scenario, like, you lose a loved one, but you're like, God, and, and, and there's grief and there's sorrow, I get it, but, but on the same hand, there's also, like, this, Father, if it's not for Jesus, like, that's a total loss. Like, that's the end. But because of Jesus, like, I'm so thankful for this opportunity that I had to know them here in this life because that guarantees that I'll know them for eternity because of what you've done. And it's just this perspective shift of, like, I've got to find something to be thankful for in this moment or I'll start getting pulled into depression and despair, anxiety, and all the things that that come along with it. And the truth of the matter is, is that none of those things change anything. When did regret change anything? When did despair and anxiety change anything? They never have. They've never worked the fruit of the Spirit in your life. All they've brought is sorrow and despair. They've robbed peace. They've robbed joy. Listen, there is a time to mourn. I'm just saying that, like even in the worst case scenarios, there's something we can find because of His goodness to be thankful for. And so, um, I, I, uh, how, how are you guys doing this morning? You good? I, I, there's this thing that God keeps talking about over and over again to me, and, and it's uh, for our church family, um, and, and I really feel like, like, can you feel that God's doing things? Like, you just look around. You can see he's doing stuff. Like, people are open to the gospel in a way that I haven't seen people be open to it in a long time, like maybe ever, and, and it's like, I think it's because for so long we've made the gospel about so many other things than simply following Jesus, that people have gotten burnt out on what they thought was following Jesus, that when they hear the simple truth, the simple gospel of, of, of denying ourselves and laying our lives down and becoming a new creation filled with the Spirit, and then following after Jesus, like the why of our life changing because we've met a man named Jesus and everything has changed. Like, maybe on the, on the exterior in our circumstances, everything didn't change, but I've changed. And now I actually walk into those circumstances different. I'm no longer the victim of somebody else's villainy. I'm the product of Jesus's sacrifice. Like, I'm not looking for the bad guy in my past because there's one man in my past that matters, and that's Jesus hanging on a cross and living and rising and living at the right hand of the Father. And so I'm no longer, like, examining my family tree because my tree died when his tree was, re- was erected. Like, literally, the old has passed and new has come. All things have passed away. They've all passed away. Whether you've allowed them to pass away or not is up to you. Whether the way that you think has been changed so that you see them as passed away or not, that's up to you. But on his end, when he said it's finished, he really meant it was finished. We're not waiting for him to come back and do it again. He's done what was necessary on his, ha- on his part, and now he, the, the gospel begs for us to be reconciled to Christ, to be, to be brought into that family of God, to become a new creation, to be filled with his spirit, and to live with our eyes forward on Jesus rather than back behind us looking at everything that's not Jesus and letting that be Lord when there's one man who is. And, and that's the thing, I feel like there, there's a lot of people who are just coming alive to this gospel, but I also feel like we're in a time where I think God is so wanting to deal with the subject of discouragement and disappointment, and we've talked about this a lot, but I think it's a bigger deal than we think. I think that a lot of us have the way that we see looking forward shaped more by disappointment and discouragement than we do by hope and excitement. Listen, I'm telling you, because you talk to people, and you ask them, like, how they're doing, and most people, if they're they're not living, like, Jesus-centered, even, I'm talking about born-again people. I'm not talking about people that don't know Jesus. Like, when they do that, like, that's to be expected. Don't ever be shocked by people that aren't following Jesus living like people who aren't following Jesus. (laughs) Seriously. Why why would they live differently? Why wouldn't they be selfish? Why wouldn't they be living at the expense of other people? Why wouldn't they be doing the things that they're doing? They have no idea that there's a man named Jesus who came and lived and died and showed them a better way and reconciled them to the Father. They have no idea what it is to wake up in the morning and live after the Spirit and not go after the lust of their flesh. Don't be shocked by that. Don't, Don't be repulsed by it either to where you run away from it. Maybe you're there to see that because you carry the truth that they need that would keep them from living that way continually. But, but I'm talking about in, in believers, in people who have entrusted their life to Jesus, you talk to them, and so many times what they're saying is shaped by something that happened or that didn't happen or a mistake or a regret or a disappointment rather than The truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's promised you just talk to people you'll hear it and people will say things and you'll even quote scripture and they'll be like oh man I remember when I believed that like what happened well life came along and it said something different and so I chose to believe life over the giver of life I, I, you, just, you talk to people, and you, you talk to them about God working all things for good, but with a genuine childlike excitement that just believes all things are possible. And it bothers people. You know, oh, yeah, that's easy for you to say. How do you know that's easy for me to say? You know, because we all think our problem is the worst problem. I, I promise you, your problem is not the worst problem in the room. If we all took our problems and threw them in a pile, you would run to pick yours back up. When you saw the stuff other people are dealing with, you would run and grab your little problem in a lot of cases. And the truth of the matter is, is it's not always easy to say, but it is always worth being said. And so um, I, I honestly believe that like, that God really is doing something right now that, that is incredible, but I feel like there's a lot of people who are not perceiving it, who are not knowing it, and there's a, there's a reason, and it's in the Word. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to Isaiah 43, and, um, and then we're going to jump ahead to, to Philippians, because it's repeated in Philippians, but we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 43, and this is God speaking, and he's, he's giving a command to his people and, and, and he's, he's talking to them about who he is and what he wants to do and who he wants to be. And in the middle of him talking about this stuff, in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18, he says this, do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Now, I just want to make sure that when we read his word, like when we see that this is God speaking, that we hear it as the Lord speaking. Like this is not Isaiah like giving his opinion. He's not like, "Hey guys, here's the newest self-help book from Isaiah," and uh, it, 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 and and it's called, uh, you know, "Adventures of a Man with a Coal-Filled Mouth." Like this is Isaiah who has seen the Lord, who has has become a prophet of the Lord. Who 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 when he sees God, like he's undone. And he's like, God, I am a man of unclean lips from a peep, unclean people. Like, I don't even deserve to be here. He says, I've got an unclean mouth, and I'm from unclean people. And so God has an angel take a coal, an ember, and touch his mouth, and the unclean mouth becomes clean. The fire of God touches an area of your life. Things that were, that were unclean for years can become sanctified in a moment. And he's like, I I can't even speak because my mouth is unclean. And God says, you think that an unclean mouth would stop me from from using you? I can cleanse your mouth in a second, Isaiah. All I need is someone willing. Here am I. Send me. He goes from, I'm an unclean man of unclean people. I don't even belong to be here, to being touched by God in a moment and saying, I'll go. What happened? He experienced God. Like, you have to have an experience with God continually. Continually. Like a continual encounter with the Lord of lords. Because if not, you will have all these reasons why you can't be what the word clearly says you can be. Like when God said, who will go and speak? He knows Isaiah's the only one there. It's not like he's in heaven, like literally wondering. I wonder who we could send. And the angels are all going. And God's just stumped on the throne. Hmm, if only there was a man. No, he knows Isaiah is the only one there. What he wants to know is, does Isaiah understand that he's worthy and capable of doing what God's asking him? The question was never, could he? The question was, did he believe he could? The question has never been, can you live the way Jesus has called you to live? The question's always been, do you believe that you can live that way? The question was never, could Jesus heal the boy? The question was, did you believe that he could? If you're able, if you're able, if you believe all things are possible to him that believes... God's never been in question. It's our belief of him that's always been in question. It's our belief of him that the enemy is constantly and continually attacking and trying to bring into question. We would be wise to just kind of sort some things out and settle some things and say, listen, I don't even have to say that I understand how. Like, I don't even have to say that I know how you're going to do this, but I just believe that if you said that, that not only is it possible, that it's your desire. And so, Father, I'm going to fix my eyes on what is unseen because what is unseen is never going to change. What is seen? Oh, that's all temporary. In other words, what I see could change in a second. What he said can't change for millennia, for eternity. Like, the thing that I see that makes me question his word, that could change in a second, because what is seen is temporal. It's temporary. It's fleeting. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's passing away. It's subject to change. It can shift like sand with a tide. You could stand at the edge of the ocean and say, this is the edge of the ocean. Stand there 12 more hours and you'll find that the edge of the ocean isn't where you thought the edge of the ocean was. It's changing constantly. That situation that makes you think he can't be who he said he would be, that thing can change in a second. That unclean mouth, that can change in a second. All it needs is the touch of God. And suddenly the unclean mouth becomes a mouth that's capable of carrying the holiest words ever spoke, the words of God to a people that were unclean. And if the people that were unclean would actually yield to the words, they would change as well. He says, there's a problem, God. I'm unclean and I come from an unclean people. And God says, well, how about I cleanse you? And one person actually gets their their mouth touched by God. One person gets their life touched by God and then gets sent back into a bunch of unclean people and you start to see things change he's always been way more capable than we've been willing so this is isaiah writing this we're going to get to it i promise look i'm telling you someone here sitting here needs to realize this like you've you've been wondering like well i wonder how god will do that and your lack of ability to understand how has kept you from believing what and believing who Like, and and all the while praying for a peace that passes understanding. Lord, I thank you that, that, that you will guard my heart and my mind and that I'll have a peace that passes understanding, and I promise I will live in that peace as soon as I understand. It doesn't work that way. You have to abandon one to live in the other. You gave up your right to understand everything in order to walk in the peace of just trusting the one who is trustworthy. You quit trying to figure everything out and live in the truth that you do know and watch the things that you don't know start to line up and start to make sense. You're waiting to understand everything before you do one thing. It's like saying, I need to know how to raise a teenager in order to know how to take care of, a, of an eight-month-old. No, you just take care of the eight-month-old, and you might find that you grow in wisdom and knowledge just as they grow in age. And when you get to that point, you'll know how to do it. And you're so worried about not knowing how to do it then that you don't even do the thing you know to do now. Yeah, i listen, y'all, it's too early for y'all. <laughs> See, I, I come in stirred up. Oh like <laughs> We should just get play those soft keys. Just a little longer. Just bask in that. Uh, basking's over. You do whatever you feel like the Lord's calling you to do. <laughs> do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. So this is the Lord speaking. This isn't Isaiah's opinion. This is not like, hey, here's a suggestion for the super Christians. This is not all of you who are really radical See, because sometimes we'll hear the Bible and we'll put that off for other people and we'll disqualify it as, as being for us. And we do that with both good things and hard things. Like it's easy for me to believe that God wants to bless you because I don't know the mistakes that you've made as well as I know the mistakes that I've made. I don't know about that time that God told you to do something and you didn't do it. So it's easy for me to believe that he wants to bless you, but I am painfully aware of the thing that I didn't do, of the disobedience in my life. And because of that, it's hard for me to believe the thing that I believe so easily for you, for myself. We would do well to actually take the words of God and actually just believe them for us, rather than for other people. And so... God is speaking and he says this, do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Do you notice he didn't disqualify that and say, now listen, this is not like the 10 commandments. Those are commandments. This is one of the 5,000 suggestions. Like we, we, If we're not careful, we will take the things that we read in the Word and we'll put the Ten Commandments as commandments. We'll take the two things that Jesus said were commandments and take those as commandments. And then everything else we'll take as like the great suggestions. Like there's the Ten Commandments and then there's the 5,000 suggestions. The truth of the matter is if God says don't or if God said do, it's a command to us that should be obeyed even if we don't understand or even if it doesn't feel good in the moment. And, and I know some of you are saying, well, yeah, but Jesus came to fulfill, and did away with the law, and we don't have to follow. Listen, the Ten Commandments are never going to pass away. They're just fulfilled differently. Rather than you not sleeping with somebody because it says don't commit adultery, you don't sleep with somebody because you actually have the ability to not lust after them in your heart. So you're not doing out externally what is happening internally. Before, everything was an external manifestation. Now it's because of an internal position. So he said, before it was easy. You just didn't have to kill anybody. Now, he says, you don't have hatred and anger in your heart because that's the thing that would cause you to kill somebody. In other words, it's not about cleaning up the outside of the cup. Now the Spirit of God has come. He actually cleans the inside of the cup so that what you see on the outside is a reflection of what's going on internally. And you can actually live out of that place of having your heart changed rather than just your actions. And not to mention, I'm going to bring this into the New Testament. And you'll see the same thing was talked about by Paul and so it'll make it legal. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things that have passed. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I'll even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that, that we can open this, this amazing Bible and hear you speak. God, that we can see your heart and, and know you through your word. And God, that, that even if, if the... If the, the Letter has passed, we can see the heart behind it. And Father, know that your heart is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So thank you, God, as we as we read from your word and we, we study your word and we ponder your word, Spirit. I, I pray that you would come and you would open our ears to hear. Not just to, to receive it in as knowledge, but to hear the heart of God. And then that our minds are capable of understanding because. Because Jesus said that you would take all the things that the Father has made known to him and you would make them known unto us. And so we're asking that you would do what Jesus said. You would take these deep things of God that were given to Jesus and you would make them revelation and make them known unto us. And, and, and that our hearts are capable of receiving your word. That where once there was a heart of stone that, that even the tiniest of seed couldn't penetrate, couldn't bear fruit. Father, that now you've given us a new heart, a heart of flesh. Father, that your word can actually pierce our hearts, lodge deep in our hearts, and actually produce the fruit of that seed reproducing after its own kind. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't that amazing to think when he said, in that day, I'll take from them their heart of stone, I'll give them a new heart, a heart of flesh. They're heart of you to know me, and I'll write my law upon their heart. Isn't it amazing that where once was a stony ground that the tiniest of seeds would just bounce off of and have no effect, now there's this soft, fleshly heart that the seed actually can go into and begin to bear fruit and reproduce after its own kind, because God promised from the beginning that every seed would reproduce after its own kind. So if the seed is the word, remember, Jesus said that he said, "The, far- the, the kingdom of God is as if a farmer goes and, and sows seed." And he's explaining to the disciples, He says, "The seed is the word." So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, the word of God will actually penetrate people's hearts and then reproduce after its own kind. Well, what is its kind? What well, it came forth from the Father? It's the word, it's Jesus. And so if that's reproducing after its own kind, what's being produced in our hearts as that seed begins to bear fruit? It's Jesus. And so what's going on in the inside begins to manifest on the outside in visible fruit, but it started with our heart actually hearing the word, receiving the word and letting that word penetrate and impregnate us the sperma of God impregnating our lives to where something begins to give to be reproduced inside of us and then after a while what's being reproduced inside of us is birthed into something that the world can see and everybody goes man that's amazing and you think to yourself and they're like man that happened so fast you're thinking you saw it happen fast but the truth of the matter is is God saw my heart change a year ago and I began to live and think and act differently and I'm just now starting to see the manifestation of that thing because there's seed time and harvest and so many people get lost in the time because the seed comes and they're looking for the fruit the next day and they're judging whether or not the seed was good by whether or not they see fruit the next day and god's going it doesn't always work that way there's some things when you cast them into the ground the next day you see growth there's some things when you sow them into the ground you don't even see something happen for months never mind fruit for years wherever they're judging trees looking at them and going well i guess that word really didn't do what it said it would do because we haven't seen the fruit and god's going just give it time Just give that seed, just give it time. It's reproducing after its own kind. It has to because he declared from the beginning that every seed would. So it's not a matter of whether it will, it's a matter of where did it come from. Where did that seed come from? If it came from him, you can trust that it's reproducing after him inside of you. And one day you'll see the fruit. Just don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, if we don't grow weary, if we don't give up, we'll reap the harvest. What's that saying? saying that sometimes you're standing there looking at a field and there's nothing to harvest. Go be faithful to pull the weeds. Go be faithful to fertilize. Go be faithful to water. Go be faithful to tend the soil. Do the things that God's called you to do even if you don't see a harvest. And in due time, in the right season, suddenly you'll look and what was never there before is there in front of you and it's ready to be harvested. And now you get to live in and enjoy the fruit that you didn't see, but that you remained obedient to all that time. Don't let discouragement make you walk away from a field and judge the field. Let God be the judge. Let God be the judge. You just be faithful to do what he's called you to do. He'll come and, and divide the wheat from the tare. For you, you just stay in love. You hope all things and believe all things. So you look out at a field and rather than looking for tares, you're looking out and looking to see wheat. And you treat it like it's wheat. And if in the end, it never actually does anything, what have you lost by loving people and laying your life down for them and following Jesus' example? You realize Jesus gave his life up for so many people that would never actually take what he did and and live in the fruit of it? We're judging whether it was worth it or not by how people received us. He's judging whether it was worth it or not by was he obedient to what the Father called him to. We're looking out and going, well, if I would have known, I never would have. He's going, I knew and I did. That's challenging to me. Like, come on, but let that challenge us and say, I have to live differently. Then I need a new perspective, God. If I can't joyfully live that way, then I'm not seeing what you saw. I need to see with your eyes and I need to see what you saw and I need to think what you thought and I need my why behind my life to become changed so that I'm not looking at people and going, well, if I would have known that's how they were going to respond to me, I never would have. And Jesus is going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I called you to be like me and I knew and I did. You're going, if I would have known, I never would have. And he's going, I knew the whole time. I knew that the guy was washing his feet thought my life was only worth 30 pieces of silver you just think about that you think about like like i was talking to some people recently in in marriage counseling like please don't call me for counseling if you don't want to hear the gospel i promise you because that's what you're gonna hear because jesus thought he was the answer to everything i'm pretty convinced he was right and i don't have a better idea than him anyways so i'm pretty convinced he's the answer to everything That the gospel really is the answer to everything, and 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 we were talking about just an issue, and finally I looked at him. I said, "Let me ask you something. When you stand before him on that day, and you see what your life cost him, you see the scars. You 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 look up into those fiery eyes." of love, and you realize the perfection that you're beholding, and you realize that he actually allowed himself to be beat, spit on, beard ripped apart, filleted, and laid open for all the world to see, hung on a cross, mocked, sneered, thorns shoved into his head, nails through his feet, nails through his hands, you're going to stand there and you're going to tell me that the thing that you're complaining about right now is going to be a bigger deal than what he did. cuz one of the first things he's going to do listen to me if you're married one of the very when we will stand before the judgment seat and not it's not a heaven or hell thing for those who believe like it, we're we're standing there and our works are going to be brought up before him and they will either stand there and 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 pass the test of fire or they'll be burned up and we'll have nothing left and the re- the reason that they stand or they're burned up was the why behind it it's our motive If I did it selfishly, it doesn't matter how good it looked on the outside, that thing's going to burn to a crisp. But if I did it for love and I did it because I was following Jesus and I did it out of following his example, that thing's going to pass and there'll be great reward in it. And the the comforting thing about that thing is this, is in that day there won't be anybody there to give their opinion that will change his mind. It will either stand the test or it won't. And, 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 And so... So here's the thing, when you stand there, one of the first things married people that he's going to ask you about and that you're going to give an account for is the way that you loved the one he made you one with, the way you kept that covenant that you made with God and with that person. That's going to be one of the, because it's the most important earthly relationship that you have. After what did you do with the gift of my son, Which, if you're standing before that seat, you accepted it. So that's not a question anymore. The first thing, one of the very first things I believe that we will answer for. Is the way that we loved and treated the one that He made us one with, that we made a covenant that was greater than any other earthly covenant with. You're telling me you're going to stand there on that day, and you're going to look at Him and see what He did for you. Now He was perfect. And Peter, when Jesus is talk, when, when Peter, when Jesus, Peter's talking about Jesus, He says, "Consider Jesus, who was without sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth." What's He saying? He actually was 100% perfect and 100% truth. Rare is the time in a marital issue that one person is 100% right, 100% innocent, and 100% perfect. Rare is the time. Even on the best time, you you play the little part most of the time. Every now and then, they might just be a jerk, and you're like, hey, that was you, (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, is, most of the big issues that people are upset about in marriage that are causing them to live less than loving towards each other, everybody had a bit of a hand in. He says, consider Jesus, who was 100% perfect in the equation, and yet when he was mistreated, didn't mistreat in return. When he was reviled, didn't open his mouth and revile in return, but kept instead entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. So you're telling me you're going to stand before him and he's going to ask you about the way that you loved and the way that you laid your life down and loved your wife the way he laid his life down and loved you, and you're going to have an excuse and say, well, you know, I would have, but they. And you're telling me he's going to look at you and go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Come on in. If it won't be valid then, it probably shouldn't be valid now if you couldn't stand before him and say it then, you probably shouldn't stand before him and say it now. If you can't imagine his response to that excuse being, whew, I'm glad I didn't have to deal with that. Come on in. (laughs) If you can't picture that then, why do you picture that now? If your excuse wouldn't hold up then, what makes you think it holds up now? Maybe we need a different perspective, and maybe we need to start living with a higher perspective, and not just living for today, but living for that day, and asking ourselves uh, some hard questions about, when I stand before him, are the things that I'm telling all of my friends that keep me from living the way Jesus lived towards me when I was an enemy towards him in my mind? Like, I didn't even, wait, like, I didn't even walk down an aisle and pledge my life to him. Listen, don't be distracted right now because you don't want your spouse hearing the things I'm saying. When I, wa- when, I haven't even, like, when I wasn't even pledging my life to Jesus, when I wasn't even standing there with butterfly eyes and saying all these flowery words to him and making a covenant with him, long before that, when I was an enemy to him in my mind, when I was anti-Christ, he came and didn't let that be an excuse for him to lay his life down in love for me. So, so what are the things that, that we're using as an excuse? Will he look at us and say, oh, well, I'm glad I didn't have to deal with that. Come on in. There's a special place for you. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be valid. You won't even try to formulate an excuse when you're standing there looking at him because you'll realize how silly it would sound. Maybe we ought to get before him now and let it sound silly. Maybe we ought to get alone with him now and start hashing out the reasons that we can't be who he's called us to be. And look up into those eyes and let it feel as foolish as it should. And then repent. Have the way that we think changed. Have a higher perspective when we leave the room than we had when we came into the room. And then go and live the way he's called us to live. And not judge whether it's worth it by the response of people. Judge whether it's worth it by what he's already done for me. Well, yeah, but I did that, and they didn't. So what you're proving is is that you didn't do it for love. You did it for response. And your ability to do it was only as good as your faith that they would respond. And as soon as they stopped responding long enough, you lost all faith in the fact that they ever would. And their Lord, not him. Quiet. We haven't had a little talk like that. Listen, I don't say these things because I'm up here trying to like spank you or something. I'm saying these things because this is the way to eternal life. Like you get that perspective and suddenly you wake up in the morning and your purpose in life isn't to get a response. It's to live from a response to the one who already loved. And now all of a sudden, you're doing what Jesus said you would do, but you're doing it joyfully because you're not measuring the worth of it by the response or the lack of response. You're measuring the worth of it by being able to stand before him and him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You're living for the joy of knowing that you're following the example of Jesus, that you're living differently, that your life really has changed because you've put your trust and your faith in him for your eternal life. Probably ought to start putting your trust and faith in him for your temporal life as well. Like, if he's going to be worth it for eternity, he's probably worth it for 100 years. Yeah, yeah. I told you, you guys weren't ready. <laughs> Y'all come back, come, go have coffee while, I'm, while, while the 10.30 is in here, and then come back for the 12 ready. <laughs> it would probably be different anyways. This is that point where I'm like, okay, there's five minutes of time left, and there's like 45 minutes of message left. I'll, all right, well, I, I think this actually goes well together. There's a lot of people, I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll end with this, and, and, um, and if the next two services go the way this one did, then we'll get to the rest of it the following Sunday, and if not, you heard what you needed. Um. There's a lot of people who are living in half of repentance. And what I mean by that is this, is that when God's saying don't recall former things or don't ponder things of the past, that, that, he'll never say something that contradicts himself. So when he said remember what he's done, when he says don't recall the things of the past, he's not saying cancel out what I said. He's saying anything that doesn't go along with what I've already commanded you, that's the thing I want you to not ponder, to not dwell on, to not think about. So if he's commanded you to remember his goodness and remember his faithfulness, then him saying don't recall the things of the past doesn't undo that command. It actually adds to it, and it gives clarity to the thing that he actually does want you to think about. But when he, when he says don't recall the things of the past or dwell or dwell on them, or ponder them. This is what he says. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Will you not be aware of it? Or some translations say, will you not perceive it? Will you not see it? I've used, and, and many people have used that verse, a lot of times when we talk in revival culture about, you know, don't look for God to move the way he moved before. He's going to move differently. He's doing a new thing. And, and I do believe that. But I think there's, a, there's another meaning to this that's just as simple and straightforward as it possibly could be, and that's this. Don't sit around... Dragging up the things of the past. And don't ponder. See, he gives two parts to this. The first one he says is don't recall. That's your responsibility. He says, don't you choose to bring up the things of the past and to dwell on them. Like, you know when you're doing that, you're just choosing this thing. You're saying, you know, even though it's not worthy of praise, excellent, lovely, of good report, it's none of the things that we find in the New Testament that says not the, uh, the things that we're to think on and the things that we're to dwell on. You're just, you're recalling something that was done or something that wasn't done or, or a mistake that you've made. And and, and and there's this pain because you wish you could go back and do it over again. See, that's the first part of the work of repentance. That means your heart has actually changed because you see things that were in a different way, and if you could do them differently, now you would. That means repentance has started to work in you because your heart has changed. Because you look back on that time, and you're not the person that you were that made that decision. If you could go back, you'd, re- you'd do it differently. The problem is, is a lot of people get stuck there. And so he says, don't. Don't recall the things of the past. He says, or ponder don't call to mind former things or ponder things of the past. So there's two parts. There's, one is the you recalling it, but the other one is, is when you see that person, or you go to that place, or you, you smell that smell, or you hear that song, or you drive by, or you see that car, or you eat that food, and you get Triggered. And you weren't sitting around trying to recall this. You weren't living in the first part of that verse. You weren't calling to mind the former things. You were actually living in the present. But all of a sudden, this thing came along and reminded you of the past. And now, all of a sudden, you begin to ponder it. You begin to think on it. And it's not excellent, lovely, worthy of praise. It's not something that the Bible calls us to to meditate on. But, But you couldn't help it. I wasn't trying to think about that. I was innocently living my day and that song came on the radio and it reminded me of that time, which reminded me of that person, which reminded me of the thing. And now all of a sudden I'm spiraling downwards and I'm living in in the past, pondering things of the past. And I wrote this down and I I think that, that someone probably needs to hear this. What if you saw the temptation to disobedience, to sit and ponder things of the past, what if you saw or sorry what if you saw that that trigger that song that smell that thing that brings that thought into mind and starts wanting to lead you down that path what if you saw that as a temptation to disobedience and that to sit and ponder things of the past was just as wrong as the thing that you're pondering what if you saw the temptation to dwell on former things to be just as wrong as the former thing? Because it's destroying your ability to live in the joy and the peace that Jesus died for you and for that person to live in. See, here's the irony of it. On the same night, you could have two people having their lives influenced by a lie, by a bad decision, by a mistake, by a willful sin, whatever it is. And, and, and it's 2019, but yet you're still living back in 2010. And you got two people and, and, and one person is in their room and they're just full of shame and guilt for what they did because the first half of repentance has worked in them. They saw the thing was, that they did was evil and they've changed the way that they think about it. And now because they're not the same person as they were because repentance has worked in their heart, they look back on that thing. But the problem is, is that the second half of repentance hasn't worked and that's that they actually forget what lies behind and press forward towards the high mark of the calling. See, that's where Paul brought this principle into the New Testament, into the New Covenant. It's not just an Old Testament principle, not just an Old Testament command. It's something the Apostle Paul in the New Covenant lives by. He says, listen, not that I feel like I've attained perfection yet, but this one thing I do. Letting go of what was behind, I reach forward towards what's ahead, that I might reach forward towards the high mark of the calling of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? I have to let go of that to be able to grab onto this. And all the time that I would spend holding onto this is time that I can't be grabbing on and reaching out in this. And God's saying, listen, I'm doing something new. It's not that I'm not doing something new. It's that you don't perceive it because you're stuck in 2010 and you don't even see what I'm doing in 2019. And you have two people on the same night one of them's in their room crying with shame and guilt because of the thing that they did that they wish they didn't. And the other one's sitting in their room crying because of the thing that the person did that they wish they wouldn't have done. And this one's stuck in shame and guilt, and this one's stuck in anger and unforgiveness. And a trap of the enemy from 10 years ago is still ensnaring two different people who are following Jesus because only one half of repentance has worked in their heart. Because the way that they think about what was done has changed. But they haven't allowed the peace of God to come and to release forgiveness or to accept forgiveness. And so they still hold someone responsible, they still hold themselves responsible. And they're constantly dwelling on the former things. And they're constantly recalling things of the past. And they're not seeing that in the same way when when a temptation enters into your mind, listen to me, we, we, we know this first. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So when a temptation comes into your mind, a thought to do something that would be selfish, that would be at someone else's expense, that would be at the expense of following Jesus, that would violate the commands of Jesus, when that temptation and that thought comes into our minds, we know to take that thing captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, I take that thing captive so that it doesn't take me captive, and I bring it under to the authority of Jesus. And if that thought doesn't stand in the authority of Jesus, then I have nothing to do with it and I don't live in the fruit of it. What if we saw the temptation to dwell on former things the same way as a temptation that we needed to take captive to the obedience of Christ? What if we stopped letting it have free reign in our lives and actually let Jesus? And I I just, I think this, I think that God is so wanting to do so many new things in people's lives, and he's doing them, but people aren't perceiving them because they're caught in the trap of looking back and saying, well, if I wouldn't of my marriage, you know what the truth is? Maybe if you didn't, your marriage wouldn't, but the truth is you can't go back and undo that thing. What you can do is you can live today and forward the way he's called you to live and trust that he can actually redeem things. If I would have done this, man, do you know what my finances would be like? Well, guess what? Your finances are what they are, but they can be different moving forward if you would stop living in the regret and the pain and letting that cripple you from doing the thing he's calling you to do now. What if you just let that go and actually said, I'm not going to recall the former things. I'm going to actually live forward towards Jesus rather than backwards towards my mistake or towards the mistakes of other people. and Start letting his voice be the loudest voice rather than regret, shame, guilt, worry, disappointment, discouragement. So I I just want to pray over us, and and I I, I don't have like a magical prayer, but I do think this, I think that as we head into Thanksgiving week, we're going to spend a lot of time hearing the word thankfulness be tossed around. I think one of the things we should be thankful for is this, that my past has been swallowed up by the blood of Jesus. Not just the things that I did, but the things that others did or didn't do. That's been swallowed up by his blood, and it no longer has anything to do with who I am today, because I'm not a product of my failures or people's failures, I'm a product of his faithfulness. And so if anything would try to bring me back to a place of, of living with shame and regret and guilt, i just cast that thought aside. i take it captive. And, 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 and here's, how, here's how that looks, and I'll just, this is what I do. Father, I'm so thankful that I'm not that person anymore. God, I thank you that if I could go back and do it differently, I would, but I can't. So all I can do is trust you going forward. I thank you, Father, that, that what they meant for evil, God, you're going to work for good because your word says that. God, I don't want to miss out on the thing that you're doing now because of the things someone did then. God, I don't want to miss what you're doing now because I'm still a captive of what someone did then. I want to know and perceive everything that you're doing. So I'm not going to dwell on the things of the past. I'm not going to recall them. And when the enemy tries to bring them to my memory through a feeling or an emotion or a memory or a trigger... I'm going to take that captive to the obedience of Christ, and I'm going to walk forward towards you rather than backwards towards him. In Jesus' name, amen.